Greetings, podcast listeners. Welcome to a new episode of History from One Student to Another. In today's episode about Stalin's Russia, I'll be speaking about Soviet Russia's foreign policy. Shortly after he gained control over the party, Stalin embarked on a period of radicalization of the Soviet foreign policy that aligned with his hardline domestic policies. To convey a sense of emergency for modernizing the Soviet Union, Stalin portrayed the Western powers, with France in particular, as violent nations who were seeking to attack and destroy the Soviet nation. Domestically, Stalin eliminated any forms of opposition to his power, replacing those in positions of power with his friends and allies. With this, Stalin shaped the foreign policy of the Soviet Union. Stalin began to pursue a policy of expansionism. In the 1920s and 30s, this meant widespread global propaganda which promoted the success of the Soviet Union and the appeal of communism. It was not until the Second World War that expansionism escalated to physical expansion, from the joint invasion of Poland to the establishment of the Soviet Union and sphere of influence during their liberation of Europe. During the early period, whilst the Soviet Union was industrializing, Stalin expanded his control over all sectors of the economy. Firm control was necessary for Stalin's administration to be able to carry out his foreign policy aims, such as control over the Treasury Department so funds could be directed into developing capable and strong military defenses for advancing the Soviet Union's defensive and aggressive military. Additionally, as a result of the high level of industrialization, the Soviet Union was able to become highly self-sufficient, all the while strengthening its military power with more developed, advanced, and sophisticated weapons. Foreseeing the outbreak of another war, Stalin had established a policy of armament, successfully increasing the number of army officers to 1.9 million by 1939. Overall, Stalin's foreign policy consisted of four main ideas which would promote a strong military and form good international relationships. Firstly, forming good economic relationships and trading ties with neighbouring countries. Secondly, avoiding conflicts or arguments with neighbouring countries to build trust, friendship and gain influence. Thirdly, creating a strong military to convey their strength, whilst having the ability to defend against possible attacks from all angles. Fourthly, creating a good relationship with foreigners residing in the country in order to facilitate good international links. The economic effects of the First World War had initially appeared to be favourable for the rise of communism, especially with the dire situation caused by the Great Depression. It was Russia's hope to use this period of economic downturn to propagate communism. However, the Dawes Plan, Locarno Treaties and League of Nations helped to stabilise the capitalist nations of the West. When the socialist Weimar Republic joined the League of Nations, the Russian media warned them against stepping into the wasp's nest of international intrigue, where political sharpers and thieving diplomats play with marked cards, strangle weak nations and organise war against the USSR. Weimar Germany joining the League of Nations may have seemed to be a stifling factor in the relationship between the Soviet Union and the Weimar Republic, but negotiations led to the Treaty of Berlin being signed in April 1926, with the Weimar Republic committing to neutrality in the event of a conflict between the USSR and another country, or unit, so as to include the League of Nations. The Weimar Republic also provided a 300 million mark credit and accounted for 29% of the USSR's foreign trade in the late 1920s. The main country in which Russia attempted to expand their Soviet communist system was China, where Lenin believed liberation was an essential stage in the victory of socialism. The Soviets had sent troops into Outer Mongolia, allegedly at the request of local communists, and concluded a treaty with Peking on May 31, 1924, that granted the USSR a virtual protectorate over Outer Mongolia and ongoing ownership of the Chinese Eastern Railway in Manchuria. 
This protectorate over Outer Mongolia was the first of many satellite states of the USSR. In the 1930s, Stalin's attempted alliance with China had clearly failed, and he began to pursue the policy of socialism in one country, which aimed at strengthening socialism within the USSR rather than socialism globally. In this period, Russia underwent rapid industrialization and agricultural collectivization and pursued a policy of isolationism, which was ideologically justified by the Great Depression, which, to communists, was proof that capitalism was destined for failure. In contrast to this policy of isolationism, the Comintern ordered the Communist Party of Germany to aid the anti-Soviet Nazi party to power. They hoped that this would exacerbate social tensions and produce conditions that would help a communist revolution to take place in Germany. Ultimately, this never materialised, and Stalin therefore holds some responsibility for Hitler's rise to power in 1933, and the tragic consequences that Hitler's regime had on the whole world. For just a short break from this podcast, I would like to say thank you for your continued support and for listening to this podcast. I would be extremely grateful if you could further support my podcast by buying me a coffee via the link in the description. Anyway, let's get back to the episode. In the 1930s, Russian policy had evolved due to possible threats of invasions. In 1931, Japan had moved into Manchuria and was closing in on the borders of the USSR and its satellite state, Outer Mongolia. Meanwhile, having come to power in Germany, the Soviet's fears of Germany were realised in Hitler's Mein Kampf, which indicated his ambitions to expand Germany's Lebensraum into the USSR. Hence, in 1935, the Soviet Union concluded defensive military alliances with France and Czechoslovakia, and from 1936 to 1939 gave assistance to the anti-fascist forces in the civil war in Spain. The Soviet Union's fear was further provoked when Germany and Japan signed the Anti-Comintern Pact in 1936. Stalin had shown an interest in an alliance with the West, but as talks failed and Britain continued to give in to Hitler's demands for land, Stalin abandoned his efforts to build an agreement on collective security with the West. On March 3, 1937, Stalin described what was going on as capitalist encirclement, as capitalist nations surrounded the Soviet Union, waiting for an opportunity to attack it, break it, or at any rate to undermine its power and weaken it. As a result of British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain's policy of appeasement, Stalin was convinced that the West would not stand up and fight Hitler. Hence, he decided to form the Nazi-Soviet Pact with Germany, in which a secret protocol divided Poland between the two countries and highlighted Romanian territory, Estonia, Latvia, and subsequently Lithuania to the Soviet sphere of influence. With the threat of an invasion from the East reduced, Hitler began the German invasion of Poland on September 1, 1939. However, this alliance with Germany was just a farce. It was simply a way for Stalin to gain time to build up his army and gain some territory in the meantime. It was a similar idea for Hitler. They both knew that they were unable to defeat each other and needed time to build up their respective militaries. It was on the 23rd of June, 1941, when Germany finally invaded Russia in Operation Barbarossa. The Cambridge History A-Level curriculum focuses on the period of 1929 to 1941, but with other students and interested parties in mind, I shall continue this episode past 1941. In spring 1943, the German armies were beginning to retreat from the Soviet Union. Meanwhile, Communist International, also known as Comintern, was dissolved after 24 years of existence. Why? Well, it involved the enlarged jurisdiction of individual Soviet Union republics, from an outside perspective, appearing to give them more power, like self-determination. 
The reason for this is that Stalin wanted to acquire more votes that would favour the USSR in the soon-to-be-formed United Nations. Stalin tried to depict the Soviet Union's 16 Union republics as sovereign states, similar to how the British dominions were to be entitled to one vote each. In the end, the Soviet government was able to get Ukraine and Belarusia admitted to the UN as separate nations, allowing them to get additional supporting votes. Meanwhile, Molotov hailed this as the broadening of activity for individual state governments, announcing that it was an example of the USSR supporting self-determination. However, despite establishing independent government offices and foreign relations, these countries were nowhere near independent and remained heavily controlled by the Soviet Union. Thank you for listening to this episode of my podcast. Please click follow or subscribe to be notified when the next episode of History, From One Student to Another, is released. There are links in the description for you to access additional revision material on my website, provide me with feedback, suggestions and questions, and links to my social media and methods of contacting me. Again, I would be very grateful if you would be so kind as to buy me a coffee via the link in the description. This is the end of the episode. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.